discussions of race and equity and inclusion, you don't have to show up perfect. There's no way to show up perfect to those conversations. All you have to do is show up humble, show up in the truth of who you are and what you know, and be open-minded and willing to hear others out and to hear them with love. To all who come to this happy podcast, welcome. This is Spiritually Ever After, the place where Disney meets wellness and spirituality. I'm your host, Kitty Pakman, spiritual mentor, licensed therapist, and major Disney person. This is the place where the magic of spirituality, self-awareness, and personal development meets the magic of Disney. You are safe to be your full magical self here. Now let's dive in. Welcome to the Spiritually Ever After podcast, whether this is your first time or if you've been here a while, welcome. I am your host, Kitty Packman, and I am so happy to have you here with me today. Today, we're going to be doing a deep dive into Zootopia to talk about whether this movie is about race. So I haven't done one of these deep dive episodes since the Encanto episode, which was our second episode, and that is an all-time fan favorite and for a long time was our most played episode. So I'm excited to hear what everyone thinks about this one, and I'm curious to see if it's going to get the same reaction or if whether that's just because people really love Encanto. So going into this, I love this movie. I know it's not one that people necessarily know as well as some of the others, but I love it. And I don't exactly remember what I thought on this subject the first time that I saw it, but I definitely remember feeling like there were connections to a lot of deeper topics. So not specifically or just race, but gender identity, class, financial status, discrimination, a a bunch of things. And recently, my intern was doing research for Black History Month movie and TV show suggestions, and she came across Utopia. And we had a really fun discussion about it, and so I thought it could be fun to bring that here and to look at it and to, you know, rewatch the movie I rewatched from this lens of race and, you know, privilege. And so while it doesn't explicitly talk about race... I do think there are a lot of motifs and moments throughout this movie that really apply. So that's why I wanted to do this rewatch and do this episode to really break it down. I'll also say that this movie has one of my favorite recent Disney songs, Try Anything by Shakira. It's so good. If you don't know this song, you need to check it out. So let me know your thoughts on Instagram or TikTok or shoot us an email Let us know what you think about this episode, what you think about Zootopia. Do you think this is about race? Do you think this makes no sense at all? I'm very curious to hear your thoughts. So it's interesting how this movie opens up in a dark and scary way, right? And it's Judy as a little, I was going to say a little girl as a little bunny and her friends in school. And they are telling the story about how predators have this biological urge to attack. So right from the beginning, we have this sense of talking about biology, talking about facts, quote unquote, which is a common tactic in, you know, speaking about race and racism in almost like a colorblind way. Um, People will often make these allusions to biology or to facts or to science to say that these things are what they are when that's not necessarily always the case. 
I think it's adorable how Judy is just so over the top with her acting. Jennifer Goodwin, who plays Judy, does such a good job here. And in this play, they're talking about how the world is split into two, into vicious predators and to meek prey. And they then speak about how they have now moved beyond these primitive savage ways and that they now get to live in harmony together, the predators and the prey. And that by working together, they all increase their opportunities and their resources. And yet then we see pretty quickly that that's not necessarily the case. I love that Judy calls Gideon Gray right out and, you know, says it may seem impossible to small minds for me to become a cop. And she says, I'm looking at you, Gideon Gray. She's not afraid. She has clearly done her research. She's determined to become a cop and she knows what it takes. She knows that the deck is stacked against her. And that it's doable, that she can do it, even though it doesn't seem doable at all. Her dad then tells her that settling is the key to happiness, which is so sad. And to me, again, speaks to that this is them living in quote unquote harmony and being happy. And yet they're having to settle. They're having to stick to these um, very structured boxes that this is what a bunny can and can't do or this is what a prey can or can't do. It does seem like the suburban and rural areas are still working from more of that traditional system, right? We see the bunnies being carrot farmers and Gideon's not taking her seriously as being a cop. And it seems like they are saying that Zootopia is more progressive. And, and so we see that also in our own world, right, where urban areas tend to be more progressive than suburban and then, you know, rural tends to be um, a little bit more traditional, It, her parents tell her, you know, that it's great to have dreams just as long as you don't believe in them too much. And just a, a bunch of the things that her parents say to her here. And again, I know they're doing it to protect Judy, but I, I mean, and I don't have children of my own. I will say that, but I am a family therapist. I babysat for many, many years. And what I've learned is that kids will pretty much always do the opposite of what you tell them to in these moments. So choose your words wisely and let kids make their own choices to the extent that they can present them with the potential consequences and let them make their own choices because you trying to stop them usually does not go the way that you want it to. I think this moment when Judy stands up to Gideon Gray is such a good moment. It shows she's so brave and you see the size difference, right? That she's so much smaller than him and still she stands up to him. I think his Southern accent feels like a subtle nod to racism in America, but that could be my own bias. Um, and he says that killer instinct is still in our Dunna instead of DNA, which I think is one of the funnier lines in the movie. But overall, this is a really intense scene. And it definitely, in my opinion, could have tones of violence against black and brown people, especially when they stand up against the current power dynamics. And yet, even though, you know, it ends with Gideon scratching Judy, she has, you know, a permanent scar, and yet she still gets the tickets. It's so impressive. Judy is so, she's such a boss. And she then says that great quote of, he was right about one thing. I don't know when to quit. And then, of course, we move into the Zootopia Police Academy, which is a super fun scene. We're seeing Judy having to take on all these tasks that, I mean, she's just super, she's relentless, right? She's so inspiring and she's becoming the first bunny cop ever when 
it legitimately had not seemed possible, right? You're looking at these things that she's going through in this academy, and it's very clearly created in a way that assumes that predators are the norm and that predators are the only ones who can become cops. So this is a form of ethnocentric monoculturalism because the government is assuming that predators will be the better cops, that they are the they are the norm, right, as cops, and that prey can't be cops. They can't be good cops. And so they make an academy that's not accessible for prey and for their size. And yet Judy rises above and does it anyway. She's, yeah. And not only does she graduate, but she becomes valedictorian. So Judy is definitely a boss. And I definitely felt like when Mayor Leinhart was announcing her as the valedictorian, his tone felt really shady. Again, watching specifically from this race lens, it was like he's a fake ally and that he is only doing this because he's getting something out of it for himself. And the way that Judy's parents are scared for her also feels like black and brown parents being scared for their children to take chances in the world that we live in because the world that we live in is based on a system of white supremacy and you know we feel this in her parents fear and again we feel this in Lineheart's tone that this is the norm that the norm is that predators can do this and prey can do this and wow we have this amazing prey who was able to do this and, and can't believe it and she's part of our police force right? Like that ownership that he is then getting all the benefits from, but none of the hardship or the struggle that Judy's had to go through. Judy's parents then specifically give her fox repellent, which is foreshadowing to her eventual relationship with Nick Wilde. And we then see Judy getting on the Zootopia Express train, which is so cute. It has all these different door sizes for all the different animals, which is really cool and speaks to a little bit more of that inclusivity that we start to see a little bit more of in Zootopia. And I love that she gets on the train and then she runs back out and she hugs her parents, right? As much as they are maybe limiting her, they're doing it because they want to keep her safe. They're doing it because they love her. And they're a really cute family. You know, and I think it's only she's only able to do what she does in this movie because of that support, because she has that love and she knows that they believe in her, even when it makes no sense at all for her to be going for what she's going for. And it's cute as she's pulling out of her town, we see the bunny burrow sign and it has the population size and it's just increasing rapidly because they're all bunnies. So it's really cute. This movie has a lot of subtle nods like that that are just really well done. And then we get to my song, Try Everything. It's so good. I just love it so much. This is a great scene. I want to be on this train, right? She's going through all the different districts. And it, this is just a really good song to drive to, to pick your mood up. And if you hadn't heard about this, um, when Shakira performed at the Super Bowl, she came out in an outfit that looks almost identical to Gazelle's outfit in the music video for this song. So it's really cute. And I have to imagine that that was intentional. So that's really cool. But yeah, this is a really cool scene. It's fun to see her going through all the different districts. And it's good for setting the scene for later because it shows us a little bit more of what Zootopia looks like. And we're going to get to see more of that again throughout her whole adventure with Nick. I hadn't honestly, as I rewatched this, remembered really looking at each of these districts. But again, they're really pretty. Like this is just really, the movie is really well made and they didn't, it doesn't seem like they skipped over um, 
the details, you know, that they could have made this train ride a lot simpler and just sort of alluded to each of the districts, maybe showed a snowy scene for the tundra and, you know, things like that. But it, they really show it and it's it's really cool. And you're getting to see on Judy's face how excited she is and the wonder and the awe. So it's just a really well done scene with such a good song. For some reason, as I was watching this, as the train was pulling up to Zootopia, I was starting to get kind of like flashbacks to the Hunger Games, which is interesting. And again, from this lens of inequity, it kind of makes sense, right? That she was pulling up to this place that's supposed to be so much more equitable, so much more forward thinking. And yet, obviously, it's not. And not that you know, um, in Hunger Games, I think it's called the district. But no, they're districts. I'm not sure exactly what it's called in Hunger Games. I need to refresh my memory on Hunger Games. But when, oh, the capital, that's what it's called. So in Hunger Games, as they are approaching the capital, you know, the capital obviously is not supposed to be very equitable, um, but it's supposed to be more progressive and more futuristic and more well-developed. And and of course, it's it's not, right? And that's sort of what I feel like these flashbacks to Hunger Games, as I, as I watch this, we're bringing up just this feeling of she thinks that going to Zootopia is going to be a utopia, right? It's going to be perfect and everything is going to be in harmony and balance and so much better than her old life. And of course, that's not exactly what happens. Once Judy arrives, she realizes that this world is not totally inaccessible for prey. It's a little bit more suited than her previous life where things were more siloed, where there were certain jobs and experiences that were for predators and certain jobs and experiences that were for prey. And then we see Judy going to her new apartment and we see her neighbors and they're sort of like these rude frat bros, which is so funny. And it's clearly not the best apartment, but of course she says she loves it. And we see her getting ready to go to work and she almost leaves without her fox repellent. And then she runs back and gets it. And so throughout the movie, we'll see this motif of Judy, well, as much as for a lot of the movies she's being discriminated against, she obviously also has her own bias at the very least against foxes, right? She has, first of all, a lived experience of a really traumatic and physically painful experience with a fox. Um, but also just these stories and stories and stories from bunnies who, you know, say they can't trust foxes and that they're dangerous. And then we have this introductory scene where we meet Clawhauser. And this definitely gave me the vibe of when white people act like black or BIPOC culture is cute. They ask to touch their hair or things like that. That was definitely the vibe I got from Clawhauser calling Judy cute. And Judy calls it right out. She says, I don't know if you know this, but a, another bunny can call a bunny cute. But when someone else does it, it's not okay. And of course, he's, you know, he's all embarrassed and he says he's so sorry. I also sort of get the feeling that Clawhauser maybe is supposed to be gay, but of course is not explicitly said in any Disney movies, at least as far as I know to date. And we see Judy in with her fellow cops and her enthusiasm and her attitude just really doesn't mix with the pressure to show up as this stoic cop, especially when they're these huge predators and she's just this small little excited bunny. But it's very it's a it's a good juxtaposition to see. And then Chief Bogo says that he should address the new recruits, but he doesn't care, which gives me that kind of old school thinking of I don't need to care about DEI efforts, especially if he feels like oh, well, it's already happening without my decision. I just have to go with it. Like, why should I have to do any work on this? 
he starts to describe these four missing mammal cases. And he says that they are all predators from a giant polar bear to a teensy little otter. And as he's describing this, and he then assigns each of these cases to the other cops, of course, I'm thinking, okay, so all of Zootopia's cops are on this one case? Like, obviously, I understand this is a top priority, but is there nothing else going on in Zootopia? Or are there other cops and these are just the top cops? It really wasn't totally addressed. But of course, we see that Judy is definitely facing discrimination here because they're assuming she can't do the real work. It's too dangerous for her. She can't you know, size-wise, she wouldn't be able to, so they give her parking duty. We see that Judy has to work that much harder to prove that she can do it, which is definitely also true for black and brown people, having to do that much more than their white counterparts just to be able to get the same recognition. And good for Judy, because she advocates for herself, and she straight up says to Bogo, I'm not some token bunny. <laughs> and of course, he doesn't budge, and so she says, fine, then I'm going to do it. And she double, more than doubles, actually, what he asked of her in her first day before noon. And then, of course, her own meter runs out and she gives herself a ticket. So Judy, yeah, she's such a cute character. And then, of course, we see Nick Wilde for the first time. So Judy sees Nick and assumes that he's being shady just because he's a fox. So we start to, again, see here that bias that Judy definitely has that is affecting her judgment. And yeah, I really like Nick Wilde. He's played by Jason Bateman. I think Nick is just a really good character and Nick and Judy together are really, really cute. And the little fox playing his son is so cute in his little elephant costume. But of course we see them in this elephant ice cream parlor and the elephant says, you know, listen, there aren't any fox ice cream joints in your part of town. So even though Nick is a fox and a fox is a predator, he's still being discriminated against because of his size and because he's just being a fox, right? And the elephant says, we reserve the right to re refuse service to anyone. And he makes fun of Nick and says something about him not being able to read or assuming he can't read. So as I was watching this, it was reminding me of that store that was asked to make a wedding cake for a gay wedding and refused to make it and obviously everything that ensued after that. Um, and so I love that Judy then calls out this elephant and uses the fact that she noticed the health code violation of them scooping ice cream with their trunks, ungloved, an ungloved trunk. Um, yeah, that's gross. And basically says, you know, I will look the other way and give you like less of a infraction if you give him his ice cream, his jumbo pop, which is adorable. And Judy then says to Nick, that, you know, it burns me up to see folks with such backwards attitudes against foxes, even though she literally went into that store assuming that he was doing something bad. And then, of course, Judy thinks she's done something really nice. She's feeling proud of herself. And then she sees Nick and his fake son melting that, the jumbo pop down and follows them to the tundra where they start to make a bunch of new ice pops that they go and sell to all the little mice or hamsters, gerbils. I'm not sure what they are. And then, of course, sell the popsicle sticks as redwood. And so, you know, this is the first time that we hear Nick when Judy calls him out on this, where we hear Nick give the famous line from this. It's called The Hustle Sweetheart. And they have this conversation back and forth where... Nick essentially assumes Judy's entire background, gets it right, and bursts her bubble of what she thinks Utopia is. 
And he says, everyone comes to Zootopia thinking they can be anything they want. Well, you can't. You can only be what you are. And, you know, then, then we get this sly fox, dumb bunny. And Judy says, I am not a dumb bunny. And Nick says, well, that's not wet cement. <laughs> so poor Judy. She goes home really not feeling good about herself from this. We see her listening to Everybody Hurts Me Here All By Myself. Just so many good, you know, sad songs. We see her make this carrots for one microwave dinner. And she then takes a call from her parents. And she has to pretend that her day was great. And then, of course, they notice that she's a meter maid. They're so excited that she's a meter maid. And poor Judy and the neighbors, the, those frat bro neighbors, one of them says to turn down the music, and then the other one says, no, leave her alone. Didn't you hear? She feels like a failure already. So it's a really cute scene. And yeah, it's just, again, this I think this movie is really well done. So then we have Judy's second day, and she's giving out all these parking tickets, and everyone hates her. And poor Judy is having to field all of these unhappy people. And then all of a sudden, she sees a real crime happen in front of her. And... I first thought that that voice was Steve Buscemi, but I looked it up. It's Alan Tudyk. Um, I know him as Pastor Veal from Arrested Development, but he's also in Dodgeball, A Knight's Tale, Moana, Rogue One. But I think he's definitely doing a Steve Buscemi voice because it definitely sounds like Steve Buscemi. And we see this adorable little mini city as he's running through it and Judy's chasing him. And we see the mice coming out of, you know, Target or I don't know exactly what they call it in the movie, but basically Target is just really cute. And... Uh, Judy catches her first her first criminal. And of course, Chief Bogo is not happy about it. <laughs> you would think he would be, but of course he's not. And we hear him say, you know, life isn't some fantasy where you can sing a song and your dreams come true. So let it go. <laughs> and there are just so many good lines like that in this. Disney just does such a good job of putting these little Easter eggs, alluding back to their own creations from the past or sometimes even creations from the future. Pixar does that more than Disney animation does, but they'll put things in that later on in other movies they'll allude back to. So it's just, it's always fun to find those little, those little hints and those little layers. I then at this point in the movie decided I wanted to look up which of the central characters are voiced by black actors because I knew Mrs. Otterton was that's Octavia Spencer. And I wanted to find out, you know, I figured Bogo was chief Bogo is Idris Elba. And then there's only one other, you know, central character, at least from what I saw. And that is Finnick, which is Nick's partner and fake son. <laughs> and that's Tommy Lister. Other than that, all of the central characters are not black. There definitely were some, you know, ancillary characters, you know, background type actors, things like that, that came up that were black. But these were the only main ones. And again, there are a lot of main parts in this movie. So there definitely could have been more black and brown actors, especially if that if the intention for this movie was to speak about race, which I don't necessarily think that it was. But again, if the point of this episode is to look from that lens, you know, just naming that they definitely could have had more black and brown actors regardless of their intention with this movie we then hear assistant mayor bellwether and she mentions the mammal inclusion initiative which of course was making me think about uh, affirmative action and the opinions that people have sometimes on dei initiatives and assistant mayor bellwether says to judy you know us little guys really need to stick together and Bogo and Judy then make this deal where, you know, Bogo says, all right, I'll give you 48 hours to find Mr. Otterton. 
but if you don't do it, you have to resign. And I'm thinking, is he even allowed to make that decision, especially if, you know, especially if we just heard the assistant mayor saying something about this mammal inclusion initiative, is Judy part of that? Does he even have the ability to make her resign? But nonetheless, Judy makes the deal. And of course, that's really the um, the start of like the main action in this movie. And we see, of course, that Judy and Nick are going to work together on this. So I love how Judy, you know, she knows that she needs him. She sees him as a lead and I think she sees the opportunity there. And so she goes and finds Nick and she gets him to admit how much money he's making that he's not paying taxes on and records it with her pen. And, you know, she does, she has this, again, great line where she says, I am just a dumb bunny, but we are good at multiplying and then uses his, it's called a hustle sweetheart, right back on him. And again, it's, this is when we see that they're going to be able to work together on this, which is fun. And so then Nick says that he knows someone who knows this otter, um, but says it's not exactly a place for a cute little bunny. And this was giving me Flynn and Rapunzel entangled vibes, how Flynn kind of intentionally keeps bringing her, brings her to the to bar, brings her to these places that she wouldn't want to go in the hopes that she'll give up. So we see Nick bring Judy to the pleasure pool and specifically asks if it's making her uncomfortable. And you can see on Judy's face that she is clearly uncomfortable. But it's so funny, right? Because at least as I was watching this, I was thinking that we're used to animals not wearing clothes. So this is very normal to us. But for her, because she is used to wearing clothes as an animal, she's super uncomfortable. And it's a reminder how all of it, right, race, gender, societal standards around things like clothes, they're all social constructions. We have all made these stories up together and we've all just decided basically that clothes are necessary, right? We could just as easily all decide tomorrow that you don't have, we don't have to wear clothes, that yes, you, you're going to wear a jacket when it's cold, but why, what's wrong with being naked, <laughs> right? We've all just collectively decided that that's something that we don't do. And of course, we can think about examples where people are naked, right? So I love that this is in there because it just speaks to that, right? That Judy's discomfort comes from the weight of these societal stories and standards. And that even though they are social constructions and, you know, we've all just decided to agree upon them, they, they can be really, really influential and powerful in our lives. Um, and then we see this, the llama, I think it's a llama, at the front desk of the pleasure pool who helps bring them back to um, Nandi, I think is the name of the elephant, who doesn't know anything, but of course this llama does. Um, but this llama has, and again, this was at least from my perspective, it seemed like almost kind of like dreadlock looking hair with bugs flying all around his head, which again, from this racial lens could be a nod to... Um, people often thinking that black hair, especially dreadlocks, looks really dirty and, and smells dirty and, and speaks to uncleanliness when it's not, right? It's um, more about having a different texture of hair and having to do different things to care for that hair. We then move into the DMV scene and, you know, we see Nick mocking Judy for discriminating against sloths and for assuming that they'll be slow. But... I, I don't know. I think these sloths are really well done. I think for being, you know, animated, I think they move like real sloths do. Their hands, their faces, like everything about it really looked like a real sloth, which I thought was cool. And Flash is just so cute. I just think in general he's adorable, but specifically when he's laughing at Nick's joke 
And then, of course, he calls in Priscilla to tell Priscilla the joke. And she's a queen with her little purple hair stripe. And I'm pretty sure she's voiced by Kristen Wiig. So that's fun. But, of course, Judy just wants to get out of there as fast as she can and is just struggling to not to not say something to get them out of there. And then we see them track down the license plate that Flash was able to give them. And Judy is so smart. She tricks Nick into climbing this fence so that she can get in legally, right? She's very clever. And honestly, to me at this point, this is when I started to really realize like Nick is really helpful in this investigation. And I don't think that Judy could have done it without him. But of course, he's sort of at least up until this point, a little bit beyond this point, He's not there by his own will, right? He's sort of being forced to be there. Um, but yeah, he's definitely very helpful. And I don't know how she would have done this without him. Um, and then we see the scene with Mr. Big. And I I couldn't tell if this skunk butt rug has a deeper meaning or if it's just potty humor for the kids. But either way, there has this like weight to it, as they say it, the skunk butt rug. Um and I just love Mr. Big's voice. I think it's so cute. I love that he says to Judy, what are you, a performer? What's with the costume? And it definitely felt like to me that Mr. Big is, is supposed to be this stereotype of an Italian crime boss. And of course, he's about to ice them and kill them um, until his daughter comes in and realizes that Judy is the one who saved her life. So yeah, he's not allowed to kill Judy. And then of course, Mr. Big is very grateful and loves Judy and decides he's going to help them instead. And so they explain that they're looking for Mr. Otterton and ask what happened and said, you know, someone must have attacked him. And he says, no, the other way around, Mr. Otterton attacked. And he says, deep down, we're all still animals and describes Otterton as going savage. And I believe this is the first time that we hear this term used in this movie, but this is definitely a classic stereotype that people especially used to hold around black people and the description of especially like a black man that they can go savage, that they have this like extreme power that they need to be feared, right? And it all led into this narrative that white people needed to be afraid of black people. So definitely once I heard the word savage, I was definitely thinking of race relations. Judy then goes back to Chief Bogo and speaks about what Mr. Big has told them. And Bogo says, this is the Stone Age. Ops, animals don't go savage. And Bogo feels like Judy is discriminating against all predators, especially as a predator, right? And he then says, what do you think? I'm going to believe a fox. So again, we see more discrimination against Nick specifically for being a fox. And then we move into the saddest part of this movie, Nick's story about the Junior Ranger Scouts. Even just thinking about this scene makes me want to cry. He was so adorable. And I just feel like every time I watch this, I like don't even want to watch. I'm like, how could they do this? And it's just a reminder that kids can be so mean and it's not their fault, right? It's because of the lack of love that they're experiencing or the stories that they've been told about how they're supposed to show up in the world and what that makes them do to others. But it, I hate this scene. It's, it's really, really sad. Um, and I think it's just a reminder that these societal stories, you know, for this, it was about being a fox, but there's so many others that we could talk about in our own lives, right? That these stories run really deep and are really powerful. 
and especially in children that, you know, for us to be really mindful of the things that we as adults say around children, because they are listening, they are like sponges, they are taking it all in. And what we say really matters, you know, the words that we use and the things that we, you know, even if we repeat something that we think is funny or, you know, talking about something in a humorous way can have a real impact on the way that kids understand things. And then Nick says, if the world is only going to see me as shifty and untrustworthy, then that's what I'm going to be, which is so sad. And it explains why he's so callous and, you know, closed off and that he's not trusting, right? He can't trust the world because the world doesn't trust him. Which again, I think speaks to those race relations, right? And that in a sense that for a lot of black and brown people, because they are expecting the world to not trust them, they have to have their guard up and they're not able to be open and they're not able to be vulnerable the way that, you know, I know something that I had seen recently was some kind of criticism of Brene Brown's work around vulnerability. And, you know, it said, yeah, this is nice, but this is kind of really only available for white women. I don't know that this work is available for black and brown and indigenous women because they don't necessarily have the space for them to be able to be vulnerable. And that sometimes when they are vulnerable, we as white listeners don't want to hear it. And that could then put them in a space of danger or disadvantage. So, you know, again, I think that this, um, this description of with Nick being a predator, but yet still being discriminated against, it speaks to that, at least in this movie, there are not very concrete, clear lines between this, that everyone in some capacity can be discriminated against and in other times may be the one in the position of power. We then see Nick and Judy going to Assistant Mayor Bellwether for help, and Nick is touching um, Assistant Mayor Bellwether's wool. And Judy says, you can't touch their wool, right? And it, again, definitely feels like a nod to black hair and white fascination with black hair and wanting to touch black hair. And we then see Nick and Judy, they go, they find where the mammals are being kept, and they see this scene between Lionheart and the scientist in this lab and the scientist is saying to Lionheart that it might be time to consider their biology. And of course, Lionheart says, biology, you know, what does that mean? Like, I'm, I'm a predator. I'm a lion. What do you think people are going to think about this? And, you know, just something that I noticed that I thought was funny was that in, in these cells where these animals are being kept, they have toilets. And so does that mean that animals in Zootopia go to the bathroom on the toilet? I don't know. Maybe, probably. But I thought that was funny. And I then just think that... The fact that Judy was able to find not just Otterton, but all of the missing mammals in her first week on her third day or fourth day on the job is pretty crazy. Um, and this is when we see Nick and Judy going to this press conference and Judy's saying how nervous she is. And Nick gives her this genius strategy of answering one question with another question and then being able to kind of answer her own question rather than that original question that was asked. And Judy's nervous and she doesn't know what she's going to say. And so she kind of gets caught up in the moment and ends up repeating what she's been hearing about their DNA, their Donna. And I don't know that Judy, Judy really consciously believes that in this moment, 
or maybe she did believe it, but doesn't by the end. I'm not really sure, but unfortunately basically makes it sound like predators can go savage at any time. And as soon as Judy says it, you know, it just spirals. You see that all the press have all of these follow-up questions. One of them says something like, have you considered a mandatory quarantine on predators? So it gets really extreme really quickly, as we know it does with the press. The media can have a field day over things very, very quickly. And Judy then comes out and speaks to Nick and they have this really sad interaction where, you know, Nick is, is clearly upset, understandably. And Judy is kind of digging herself deeper into the hole as so many people, you know, I know I can kind of relate to this at times that if I've been called out and I don't know why, you know, I might dig myself a little deeper. And Judy says, well, you're not like them. And Nick says, oh, there's a them now. And then points out that Judy has fox repellent and that he's seen it since the beginning, which is is really hard for Judy. And then, of course, we see Judy going back home um, and we see kind of like what's happening in the city because of this. And we see Gazelle is starting to have a peace rally, which is so cute and so Gazelle, so Shakira of her. Um, but we then see on a train this bunny mom pull her kid a little closer to her because of the tiger next to her. And that definitely felt like a nod to what black and brown people experience where people may not trust them. People may not feel comfortable around them and they will, you know, visibly do things to show that they are uncomfortable. Um, and to, you know, to under the guise of making themselves feel more comfortable or feel safer when of course really it's just alienating the other person and making them feel uncomfortable and unsafe. And we then see kind of this discrimination happening against Clawhauser because he's a predator and they don't want him to be the first face that people see. They say, you know, the city is 90% prey and right now they're scared. So we don't want you to be the public face of the ZPD. We want Judy to be the public face of the ZPD. And of this, of course, to me, again, gave me a nod to race relations because white people often ask black people to be representatives for the whole community or to help make black communities trust white leaders. And that's really what they're doing with Judy here. And Judy, of course, you know, says no and goes home instead. And when she gets home, she says, why did I think I can make a difference? And then, of course, Gideon Gray comes in and her parents say, well, you know, we're partners with Gideon now. And Gideon's apology to Judy is really, really sweet and really genuine. And then, of course, we see that, you know, they talk about the night howler flowers and how a bunny can go savage. And, you know, maybe it doesn't do as much damage <laughs> as when a predator goes savage, but a prey can go savage as well. And they can be affected. And it's not something about their biology. So Judy, of course, gets, you know, back on, I think it's back on the train. I'm not really sure. It gets back into Zootopia. And as she's going there, it now looks like Zootopia is a five minute ride from Judy's Bunny Burrow. When, of course, earlier in the movie, it was like a day long journey. But, you know, she got to get back to the city. Um, and Judy finds Nick and goes to apologize and explains that, you know, she thinks someone is intentionally targeting predators and making them go savage and gives a really genuine apology to Nick and calls herself ignorant and small minded and, you know, says something about being a dumb bunny. And of course, you know, Nick records it and plays it back and says he'll let her delete it in uh, 48 hours. And just I'll admit while I was watching this scene, I was thinking like, why do I think Nick Wilde is attractive? He kind of reminds me of one of my exes from college, but 
you know, let me know if you're listening to this and he is attractive to you and or he reminds you of someone, let me know. Because for some reason, something about Nick is like, he has a little edge there. I'm like, ooh, he's kind of cool. Um, and then we see the weasel that Judy had found earlier and he's selling knockoff Disney movies, which is a cute little nod. Again, little Easter egg. And Nick calls him the Duke of Bootleg, which of course made me think of the Duke of Weasel Town, Wesselton. And he is, so for those who don't know that reference, in Frozen, we have the Duke of uh, Wesselton, and they keep calling him the Duke of Weaseltown. And he's saying, it's Wesselton, it's Wesselton. So in this, we have Duke Weaselton. And Nick is calling him Duke Wesselton, and he's saying it's Weaselton. <laughs> so just so again, a little Easter egg for the Frozen people to kind of go back and forth. And they speak to Duke. He gives them this tip that there's this underground growing lab. And as soon as we see this, you know, I immediately was thinking this feels like a Breaking Bad reference. And then, of course, we hear Doug say that Walter and Jesse are, are back. So obviously it's a Breaking Bad reference. But we have lots of action here at the end between the underground growing lab and then them cutting through the Natural History Museum. And then we get Assistant Mayor Bellwether, who admits that she is initiating an uprising of prey. And clearly from her tone, she doesn't actually believe that predators are biologically predisposed to be savages, but she wants to take advantage of the fear and the number of prey, right? So Judy gets Bellwether to admit to the plan, record it on the pen, and then call her out with it. And it's it's amazing. And we then, of course, see Lionheart on the news, and we see him using Nick's trick of answering one question with another question. So it's really good. It's a good ending. And then it ends with a great quote from Judy where she says, when I was a kid, I thought Zootopia was this perfect place where everyone got along and anyone can be anything. Turns out that real life is a little bit more complicated than a slogan on a bumper sticker. Real life is messy. We all have limitations. We all make mistakes, which, hey, glass half full means we all have a lot in common. And the more we try to understand one another, the more exceptional each of us will be. But we have to try. I implore you to try and make the world a better place. Change starts with you. Change starts with me. Change starts with all of us. So good. Just really ties it all up in a neat little bow. And especially the part about, right, that we all make mistakes. We all have limitations. To me, again, speaks to this, you know, this discussions of race and equity and inclusion you don't have to show up perfect. There's no way to show up perfect to those conversations. All you have to do is show up humble, show up in the truth of who you are and what you know, and be open-minded and willing to hear others out and to hear them with love. And we then see Nick say, you know, you love me. And to me, it's kind of unclear of whether that's just as friends or maybe are Nick and Judy a couple at the end of this. I hope that they are. I know they just announced that we're going to be getting a Zootopia too. So fingers crossed that maybe they are a couple. And then, of course, it ends with them getting the call that there is someone who's been speed racing and they're going to go catch him. They see him speed by. And who is it? It's Flash, of course. And it ends with oh, the best ending of Nick. <laughs> so I love Flash. I think it's so good. And I think it's a great way to end the movie. So overall, what I'll say is it doesn't feel like the point of this movie was specifically to discuss race relations. Because when it comes up, 
they kind of have predators and prey in interchangeable roles where sometimes the predators are the ones being discriminated against and oppressed and sometimes they're the ones in power and vice versa for prey. So I don't think the point of this movie was to talk about race, but I do think it has a lot of moments and motifs that really make you think about racism and discrimination in general in America. And this is really done in a way that's less emotionally charged because it's indirect. They're animals. They're not people. We're not talking about race. This is about, you know, Zootopia, right? This is about predators and prey and biology. <laughs> um, but I would love to see how kids would do watching this and giving their feedback on how this could relate to Black History Month and how it could relate to race in America. Because as much as I don't think it was necessarily intended to be about that, I would love to hear what kids think when they are put into that space of kind of being empowered to think critically and to let them look at the intersection of things, which of course is what a lot of children are being robbed of right now in schools, that they're not being taught those skills. They're not being taught to be able to think critically, which is incredibly dangerous for, I mean, I can't imagine what this is doing for our future. So Overall, I will say that I don't think this movie was um, specifically created about race, and yet clearly there is so much that can be said about race in Zootopia, and that I think it's just a really good movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, even though that included a ton of spoilers, go watch the movie. It's on Disney+. Plus. And if you haven't heard Try Everything by Shakira, go listen right now and thank me later because it is such a good song. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being here and listening to all of this. I can't wait to hear your feedback. So again, please let me know what you think about all of this and where you stand. I am spiritually underscore ever after on Instagram, spiritually ever after on TikTok, or the email is spiritually ever after podcast at gmail.com. So comment somewhere, message me, email me, let me know what you think. Do you think Zootopia is about race? Do you think none of this makes sense and I'm just thinking way too deep into things? Probably not if you're listening, especially all the way through. But either way, I appreciate you being here. I hope you have a wonderful day. And until next time, we will see you real soon. Thank you for being here and listening. If you loved it, leave a review and or share and tag me. I would love to connect with you. I'm spiritually underscore ever after on Instagram and spiritually ever after on TikTok. See you real soon.